0: Welcome to Expanding Reality Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, Coot Blackson. We talk about his amazing best selling book, You Are the One, as well as his brand new book, The Magic of Surrender Finding the Courage to Let Go. This guy is incredible. Uh, his story is fascinating. He is one of the most interesting and most well grounded, but out there guys I've ever talked to. He is incredibly self-motivating. If you guys don't get something motivational out of this episode, then I don't know what to tell you. Uh, This guy is, like I said, a fantastic human being with an incredible story. So without any further ado, Coot Blackson. Ladies and gentlemen, extremely excited to have on the show with us today, Coot Blackson. How are you today, my friend?
1: It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, it, it's an honor, I'll be honest with you. Um, so you have written a couple of books, your newest one we're going to discuss today, uh, a little bit more probably, but uh, the You Are The One, periods after all of them. I like the title, and I like the subtlety of the periods after each word. What was your thought process behind making that such a defining each word period?
1: Um, wow, I think back, uh, I just wanted to really make it stand out. You know, like really get people to get that you are the one. And it it was just uh, an emphasis so that people would really get the sense of no one is coming. There's no one to wait for. It's you. And I wanted to slow things down and imprint that on people's consciousness, because in so many ways, we look at the great ones, the Bruce Lees, the Mandelas, the Gandhis and what have you, and we... We project onto them, and we think that they're special, and they have some special gift that they're born with. And I think sometimes it's easier to project uh, some gift onto someone else because then we don't have to really own our own greatness, we don't have to really own our own divinity, we don't have to really own our own power. And I just wanted to stop people in their tracks and say, hey, it's no one else. If they can do it, you know, even Jesus said the things that I do, you can do these things and more and more. He didn't just say, you can do some of these things. You can do equal to me. He said, you can do these things and more. And so I really wanted people to to get that. And that was part of the emphasis in, in You Are The One. And I wanted people to just take ownership and responsibility for the greatness that is living and breathing inside of them.
0: Beautiful. Beautifully said. And I completely agree. I'll, uh, of course, be linking all the ways to find you and your both, both books uh, down in the show notes here. So listeners, of course, you know how to do this. Just go down below and you can find him. Uh, fascinating guy, man. So uh, it's my understanding that your father is from Ghana, your mother's Japanese, and you're raised in London. Is this accurate?
1: Let me see. Let me see. I have to think about it sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, My my father's from Ghana, as African as you can get. My mother is Japanese, as Japanese as you can get. I grew up in London, and then I've lived in Los Angeles for pretty much over half my life now since I was 18, and also partly Mexico, and... I feel like I'm a citizen of the world, you know? Um, I don't feel like I'm from any particular place. I don't feel necessarily an allegiance to Africa, even though I love Africa and my culture there. I don't feel an allegiance to Japan, even though I love Japan and the culture there. I, I I don't feel any allegiance to the UK, and I I, I didn't love the UK. Uh, I don't feel any, even allegiance to the US, and I really love the US. I think it's an amazing country, despite the challenges and whatever people can say. I think the US is an incredible nation of possibilities. It's somewhere I came, literally, with two suitcases, you know, won $1,000. And I think there's very few places in the world that an individual could go to experience the level of freedom the level of if you put in the work, you can make something of your life. And I think for me, America is probably the most at home, I feel, because I feel it's giving me a foundation to grow and evolve. But I really feel more than anything, I'm a citizen of the world. Um, and I think the soul, what we really are, our essence, our spirit, our life force, the soul has no nationality, no passport, no, no. shall we say, skin color. The soul is, is, shall we say, beyond birth, beyond death, whole, perfect, complete. And so I really, more than anything, identify myself as, as a soul, as essence, as energy. And at that level, I think we're all one. And so I'm really passionate about uh, helping people remember the true essence of what we are.
0: I love it, and uh, you and I share a a goal on this planet, which is to give people back to themselves. Now, one thing that I love about your work, as well as how transnational it is, I mean, you're international, not only your perspective, but also just your message, man. And I love this unity consciousness message that you've got. It makes so much sense to me. And I think it couldn't have come about in a better time. I think now humanity is really ready for these ideas. Because I think that the concept, you know, and everybody talks about it, from space, there are no outlines of countries. There are no borders. These are imaginary lines that human beings have created based on cultures, based on, you know, I came in and stole your land kind of thing and set up shop. And it's not a unified thing. It's a, it's a, There's nothing, I don't think, more divisive. And so in a world in which we lived where everything is so parceled out and the di- divide and conquer tactic, however that's come about, if it's been deliberate, it seems to be pretty effective. This is why I'm so excited not only to speak with you, but that your work is out here and what you're doing for the planet, man. I think you play a major role specifically in raising the consciousness of this whole planet right now. We need you more than ever. So uh, tell me how you came to the United States with two suitcases and a G in your pocket, and then I became the guy that I'm talking to right now.
1: Um, Wow. I always had this sense I was going to come to the U.S., so I'll back up. As a young boy growing up in London, um, I always felt this deep, shall we say uh affinity with human beings i felt i was very sensitive kid and i really felt people's pain i felt people suffering i felt what people were hurting and there was a deep let's say compassion or desire to alleviate people's suffering in some way as a young kid i didn't know how i would do that but i just felt people i was very empathic and so that piece was always there but I would see people who seemed to have everything, every reason to be happy. They had the fame, the money, the cars, the homes, the, the success. Yet they were miserable. I went to school with some of these kids. I got a scholarship to a very prestigious school. And I, I didn't understand, like, why, why are you unhappy? Because I also grew up in certain parts of London that were very poor and considered dangerous and poor, places you don't want to go. And yet I was around people who didn't have a lot yet. Seem to be fulfilled and seemed to be happy and seem to have community. And so the juxtaposition didn't make sense. And so as a young boy, I began to really ask myself the questions of, you know, what is this about? What is life about? What is the purpose of life? Is it just to wake up, go to sleep, make money, have sex, make babies, go on vacation, buy a car, and then die? Like, surely there has to be more to the purpose of life. What is the purpose of life? So As a young kid, I started asking myself those questions. Um, As a young boy, too, what impacted me on my path as a foundation was one of my first memories was literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor, and she picks up the sand. This is in Ghana, West Africa. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face, and stands up. And so week after week, I... I would see the same man who Sanji picked up, look at, let's say, a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. Put his hands on them. Stand up. Uh, look at a person with crutches, hadn't walked in five years. Throw your crutches away. They would start walking. He would put his hands on a person who was blind, couldn't see. Sight was restored. And so this man was my father. And I grew up around, I guess you could call them miracles, you know. Uh, but for me, they didn't seem that, extraordinary. I was around them all the time. They seemed quite normal, quite, it's all I knew. And so I grew up in this environment with this uh, spiritual guru-like type of a father who built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, a huge church in London. In London, the congregation was about 5,000. In Africa, total combined, was hundreds of thousands of, of people in his, in his congregation. And so I started speaking in my father's churches when I was age eight, thrown into the audience one day. My father says, my son is going to speak. So you could say that's when my speaking career started. <laughs> at, at four t- I had no idea what I was going to say. No idea. I was more interested in playing soccer in, you know, on the street, but I was dragged, put on the front row because it didn't look good on my father. And I was asleep. And my father said, my son's going to speak. And they threw me on stage and. Something came through me that at a young age, I can't remember. I don't understand. It was like, I don't want to use the word channeling, but literally it was like something open and words came out of my mouth that I don't remember. And that was the beginning. And then, so I would I started speaking, you know, every couple of months, my father would throw me on stage and I hated it. But when I got on stage, something would happen. And when I was 14, my father finally announced to the congregation, my son is taking over, my ministry. He's my successor. Everyone went crazy. Everyone was happy except me because deep in my heart, I wanted to impact people. I wanted to make a difference. But I knew that in my soul and I knew that in my heart, something wasn't right. I knew that this was not my path. It wasn't I didn't want to do it through the path of church or religion or some, you know, structure that was creating any sense of separation, so to speak. And so I felt a heaviness in my heart. And it took me approximately four years of turmoil, of stress, of depression, of anxiety, of fear, of, you know, confusion to really come to a place of making a decision. During that time, from eight to 18, I started reading hundreds and hundreds of self-help books, everyone from Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Deepak Chopra, Marilyn, Sam Wayne Dyer, to the Eastern Mystics, Krishnamurti, Osho, Ramana Maharishi, on a quest of answers. And so when I turned 18, I looked into my future. And I think maybe this is where my life began, so to speak, uh, the next chapter, because I looked into my future. And on one hand, I felt called to an unknown direction. I felt called to go to the US. I felt called to come to America. My soul was pulling me in this direction, which is completely unknown, but I wanted to come to the US because this is where all of the authors and the teachers and the folks I'd read about lived. Yet. There was this expected path. My life trajectory was completely mapped out for me by my father. I was expected to take over church churches, be a good son, you know, take it to the next level. All of these hopes and dreams of literally hundreds of thousands of people put on my shoulders. And I looked into my future, age 20, age 30, age 40, and I realized that my soul was, would just die trying to be someone that I'm not and follow someone else's path. And I I saw that you can't be truly happy being someone that you're not. You can't be truly happy and fulfilled living someone else's version for your life. And what is the point of having success by the world standards if I don't have myself? And so I made a very, a very difficult decision because my fear was if i dared to speak my truth if i dared to be myself if i dared to speak to my father and and tell him how i really feel i would be outcast i'd be abandoned i'd be alone i'd lose his love i'd lose community i'd lose everything and so i said nothing but when i turned 18 i had to make a decision and through much turmoil and meditation and consideration, I decided to make a choice and I decided nothing was worth it. Nothing was worth compromising my soul, nothing. And so cut a long story short, I one day had a conversation with my father, the most difficult moment of my life up until that, that moment. Um, Cause I, I, I idolized him and I said, I'm not taking over your churches and I love you, but I don't feel it. And we didn't speak for two years. Let's put it that way. It didn't go over too well, and it was devastating. But I knew in my soul that I was on the right path. And I felt so alone, so abandoned. I felt like God, the universe, life had given me a vision and a dream that I had no freaking idea how I was going to fulfill. And I remember just sitting there looking up at the sky one day going, what the hell am I going to do? But I knew that I was on the right path. And I really believe that when you follow your deeper soul's authentic calling and impulse, that's when the universe rises to support you. And one day I'm in the library, someone gives me a magazine, look at, I, I could feel chills. And, and I'm looking at the back of the magazine going, I'm feeling something. It says the American government's giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. And that's when every hair went up on my, on my arm and I knew I was going to win in a strange way. And the odds aren't high but I, I felt it. And three months later, I was notified that I won a green card. And it was crazy, but expected and came to the US two suitcases, knew no one in the country, $800 showed up in Venice Beach, California, 18, 19 year old kid, completely clueless. And I would love to say it was easy, you know, but I think sometimes when you follow your path, when you follow your calling, that's when the challenges really begin. You know, that's when the difficulties really begin. Life life throws you tests and challenges that you have to overcome so that you can tap into parts of yourself and become, develop into the person that you need to be in order to, to fulfill the vision that we're given. Some, so, so to me, dreams and a purpose is evolutionary because it takes us on that journey. And so I had to go through a lot of tests and challenges when I arrived and it was challenging and difficult and I wanted to give up and felt alone and and yet that's what began my journey. And when I found teachers and mentors and many of the folks i read about and studied with them, um, started traveling the world too. you know, went to India, went to Thailand, went to India, studied with enlightened masters, went to Thailand, studied with monks, went to Israel, studied with rabbis, just started traveling the world and on a quest for answers. And it was through that process of my own internal transformation that I tapped into, uh, I don't know. I felt like I accessed, I didn't have shit to show for it in the world. I was broke, but I was, I felt so free and so unhappy. And I just, I remember as a young, young kid, I, I thought, I, I want everyone to feel what I feel. I have no reason to be happy. Nothing, no money. I'm sleeping on someone's couch, but I feel so freaking happy. And, and I, and I, and I wanted, I wanted people to feel what I felt. And it was, it was from there, people started coming up to me saying, what, why the hell are you so happy? And that started my coaching practice. And it grew from one to one to one. And the people started coming from all around the world. And one grew to groups and thousands of people. And it just expanded from there. So that's a, a bit of my story.
0: I love it. And it seems like whenever you find your purpose like that, or you do pursue a calling of some type, especially one that speaks so deeply to your soul like you did, you are presented with, I think, a greater weight of challenges so the challenges are there like you said to build character but also to make sure that this is what you want um stephen pressfield wrote a book called the war of art have you ever heard of that or read it
1: i have i have heard of it i haven't read it yet
0: but okay I that's okay uh so basically in a nutshell there's this thing that he taps into called the resistance and he basically says that everything that's summed up that's against you you're Uh, your parents that are not agreeing with what you want to do, uh, little obstacles along the way. Those are a band of things that are very real indeed whenever you decide to follow your heart's path. And those are summed up in the word resistance. So you get all of these things labeled resistance that really try and push you back to baseline or back to this balance point that you were at before you decided to take the leap of faith like you did to pursue your heart and your soul's passion it's like there's a great you know it's the hero's journey it's the hero's story there's this great weight of obstacles that you encounter more than just the people that decide and there's nothing wrong with it A, a more safe a safer path or a path that's not in alignment with their higher or true self it just seems like those you know those challenges are oh no the propane ran out of the barbecue grill so now i've got to go get more with you it's a very different set of challenges you're challenged spiritually mentally emotionally and physically constantly and it does seem though that whenever you do decide to do that those challenges are exciting because no matter what no matter what is presented to you you're you're now following your soul's journey so it doesn't matter you've got true purpose it's there's there's a strong power behind it man um so what what led you to write your first book
1: Uh, For me, writing my first book was a natural evolution. You know, as a teenager, I read all of these books. I read Stephen Covey, I read Chopra, I read all these books. And I was like, wow, I want to write a book. So I always knew I would write a book at some point. And uh, in 2010, I had an idea for a book. Uh, There's a little side story, but I I had an idea for a book, took it to a very well-known spiritual publisher, very big, And they said, well, we would like you to modify the book in this way, this way, this way. And I felt that what they wanted me to do was so visionless. You know, it had zero vision. It was so safe. And in my mind, I'm like, people are going to wipe their asses in the toilet with that kind of book. What is the point of just wasting paper to write the book that the guy wants me to write? And so... I turned down the invitation, which people said, oh, don't do that. Use that as a stepping stone. And and for me, I've always chose to follow my soul. I think when we follow our soul, we we will always end up in the right place at the right time with the right people. Because when we follow our soul, we're in the flow. When we follow our soul, we are in our flow. And when when we're in our flow, not trying to follow anyone else's flow, what's what's truly ours will meet us in the right moments. It... (laughs) We may not be taken on the path that we most expected. The road might be a little different, but we'll end up in the right place. And so when I when I felt into my soul, it was like this is what this what this publisher is asking me to do is not in alignment. It's not in alignment. I wanted to do something that would be different. I wanted to do something that would be unique, a unique expression of my own essence. And so I waited. And I waited and I was guided to just wait. And from 2010 to 2015, I grew my business, I grew my career, said I'm going to go do my work and impact more people. And through the process of impacting more people, obviously I grew, I developed. And then I just, you know, I just naturally knew and felt when something is ripe, is ripe. And I felt a ripeness in my being, a ripeness in the space and everything synced up, not because... I thought I should write a book. You know, it's what everyone else is doing. So-and-so is doing. And it was just like, it's time. And I think when we trust the flow and we trust the timing of things because it's aligned, that's when life and the universe supports us because we're working in harmony with nature. And yeah, I mean, one thing led to the next thing. I spoke at an event. Next thing you knew, I was signed to William Morris, the agency. Next thing you know, I was in a bidding war with several publishers and it just emerged. And so the first book for me was kind of an amalgamation of all of the wisdom and thoughts of my life packaged into this written work of, 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 of inspiration, so to speak. But here's what I would say. The book that I sold to Simon & Schuster, the publisher, was not the book. You are the one that came out. Uh, What I sold to Simon & Schuster was a collection of all of my thoughts and ideas. And they bought the book, loved the book. And then they said, well, can you make a few changes? I was like, well, okay, made a few changes. Can you make a few more changes? Oh, okay. Can you make a few? I'm like, you guys want a different kind of book. And I'm honest, I I remember resisting it at first because what they really wanted me to write about was... These journeys I used to do in India, which is what You Are The One is about, which is which is framed around, I would take an individual to India, it's called a liberation experience, I take away your money, take away your passport, one person, one-on-one, uh, immersive, intensive journey to India, take away your money, take away your passport, you're stuck with me, make you sign your will in case you don't come back, make you write letters to everyone in your life in case you die, You know, and I take you to a 14-day intensive radical transformational turn-you-inside-out journey, and it's intense, you know, it's very intense. And so they, they said, we want you to write about that and you and teach through that. And I said, I'm not going to write about that because those journeys are so deep, so sacred. I could never capture that on the page. And anything I put on the page is not going to be the real essence of the journey. It's such a multi-dimensional, deep, spiritual journey that it, it can't be captured on a piece of paper. And I resisted until I meditated on it and I felt my mind didn't want to do it. My personality didn't want to do it, but I felt the alignment. We have to follow the alignment. And I saw that there was a book that was seeking to be written that was that. And so I surrendered to that. And I started writing a book that was framed around these India journeys to bring my teachings through a narrative of a story and my clients and everything started downloading. And then, here's a funny thing. My publisher said, no, we want you to change the name of the book. I was like, hell no, I'm not changing the name <laughs> of the, the book. Line. That's and, the line. That's the line. And she says, in your book, there's a, there's a phrase, you dot are dot, and I didn't even know consciously why I was putting those dots there. You dot are dot the one. Because she said, that's the title. I said, hell no. And then when I really felt into the alignment. I think we constantly have to feel into where is the alignment? Where is the flow of life moving? And we have to allow ourselves to go with the energy, go with the authentic flow of life, not what we think should be. When I fell into it, I thought it was true. I thought it was right. And that's how the first book came about. It was just an expression of love to the world. And uh, it's been a, it was an amazing journey, honestly.
0: It's incredible. I love the human story like this because everybody's journey is different. Everybody's alignment is different. Everybody wants different things. That's why there's that you know universal law of one. The first law is that we can all have anything we want because there's somebody else out there that has it and we're all one. You are the one. So it's a beautiful thing to watch somebody like you pursue their journey, but but do it with the compass of alignment. I think that that's very important, finding your compass and your North Star. Um, so what is some advice or tips or tricks that you've got for anybody just setting off on their journey
1: just setting off on the spiritual journey right and transformational journey one of the things as, as a beginning point that obviously the journey is a process it's not a destination and i hate to formularize things because everyone is unique everyone has a unique destiny a unique path a unique karma unique lessons that their soul needs to learn But as a fundamental foundational piece, if you're beginning, I think after working with thousands of people over the last 18 years, one of the things that I've seen that keeps us stuck, and this goes across the board, black, white, green, orange, tall, short, gay, straight, you know, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter, male, female, one of the things that keeps us stuck as human beings are all the ways that we lie to ourselves, all the ways that we rationalize, that we bullshit ourselves, that we just don't tell the truth to ourselves consciously or unconsciously. And so, you know, many times we stay in relationships that we know is not right for us. We know is not aligned. We're not in love anymore. We've outgrown it. We've grown apart. We've completed, but we stay out of comfort out of guilt, out of what people will say, out of familiarity, out of safety, even though our soul is dying. And so we lie about it. Well, it's okay. It's not so bad. Or we work a job for 10 years, 20 years, trading our lives, trading our lives for some security. Meanwhile, our soul is dying. And we know that we hate this job. Maybe it compromises our integrity to do what we're doing. We're betraying a part of ourselves. We know that this is not the reason we were born, but We lie to ourselves. And so I think one of the places to start, if you really want to shift your life, is to look at the lies that you are telling yourself. What lies am I telling myself? Really begin to get honest. What lies am I telling myself about who I am? about what I think, about what I feel, about what I believe, about what I want, about my relationship, about my job, about my health, about any area of my life, and start getting real, start getting true, start getting honest about that. Ask yourself another question. What am I pretending to not know? Because sometimes people will say, well, no, everything is, you know, we play a game of confusion sometimes. Like, I'm confused. I don't know. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I should do. I don't know what I want. I don't know if this relationship is right for me when there's a most of the time, there is a part of us deep down, if we're really honest, we know. We know deep down the truth. But because we're afraid of the consequences, we're afraid of what's going to happen, we're afraid of the unknown, we, we, we play this game of confusion. The other thing I'd have people sit with is really to sit with the pain. If people are, might say, well, could, I'm not sure if I'm lying to myself or not. One of the ways that we often know that we're lying to ourselves is we f- you will feel a level of pain in yourself or in your life. Pain could manifest. So, so if someone is, un- is in denial, that they're like, no, I'm not lying to myself. Here's how you know you might be lying to yourself. The pain will manifest in your life as some physical ailment or symptom in your body. That is your unconscious communicating to you about where you might not be in integrity. And because you're not owning that, it manifests in your body. Back ache, shoulder ache, you know, neck ache, eye pain, eye infection. Something shows up as a physical ailment. Something might show up as a physical manifestation, we'll call it a disease in some way, you know, it manifests in that way. That can be a messenger as well. To me, pain is a messenger. It might show up in the feeling of low energy, low motivation, depression, uh, sadness, you know, heaviness, emotional pain is also uh, a possible sign that you're not living in alignment or telling the truth. Cause I think it's to not really live in alignment is heavy. You know, we feel that, and so pain is a sign. Sometimes it shows up in terms of the people we manifest in our lives, and sometimes you'll end up attracting to you people that either align to themselves or you'll end up attracting to you people that are depressed or unhappy or miserable as a reflection of your own unconscious. So if there is pain manifesting directly or in some indirect way, That is often a sign where you might not be in alignment. And so, really sit with what is the pain. What are the lies that you're telling yourself? What is it costing you? What we because there is a cost. What we tend to do as human beings is we tend to deny the pain. We distract from. We deny it. We distract from it by we drink it away. We sex it away. We drug it away. We social media away. We shop it away. We eat it away. Whatever it is, so that we don't have to feel the pain. But I think if we're willing to realize that pain is not an enemy, pain is feedback. Pain is a gift. Pain is a friend. Pain is a feedback opportunity to bring yourself back into alignment. The pain is simply showing you where you are living a lie, where you are living out of integrity, where you're living out of alignment. When we live out of alignment, out of truth, out of when we betray ourselves, it should be painful. You know, it's meant to be painful. That is a part of us that is working correctly, showing us, wait a second, something's off. So use the pain in your life, don't run from it, feel it, and use the pain as a messenger. What is this pain showing me in terms of where I'm not in alignment and how can I bring myself into alignment? I really believe that one of the great spiritual practices is not meditating for 17 hours, is not opening your pineal gland, is not just doing yoga. One of the great spiritual practices is truth, telling yourself the truth, because so much of the bullshit and the suffering that we experience and the mess that we create in our lives, in our relationships, that we pray to God about, God, please help me with the situation would dissolve and unravel if we were honest and we spoke honestly, lived honestly, and we lived the truth. Yes, we will lose people, but we will lose things. And certain things might rearrange themselves and fall apart. But likely what will move out of your life and the people that will fall and move out of your life will probably not truly in alignment with your essence, with your authentic nature in the first place. So truth to me is a place where we can start. And if we don't deal with the truth, some people might say, I don't want to deal with it. If you don't deal with it, you will have to deal with it in some way in your life, because it will show up in physical, it will show up in blockages, it will show up in things not working. So you either deal with it consciously, or you deal with it unconsciously. Hmm.
0: With with the way that I've been seeking um, for a long time now, man, um, I found that Spiritual awakenings and things like this, and truth especially, uh, speaking to truth, is very subjective. It's very personal, and it's different for everyone. So do you think that there is an ultimate reality, that there is a true truth, or do you think that it's so—in the evidence that it's so wide and varied with everybody around, that each person has their own unique, personalized, tailored-to-them spiritual experience, that there is one true truth?
1: Well, I would say that the one true truth is that we all want at the deepest level, you know, we're one, we're divine, whatever that means, we are consciousness, we are being we we, we are manifestations of the divine. So do you think and, ha- and, ha- and how you might choose to access that, you know, everyone can have a different way to access it. Some people might do yoga. Some people might do meditation. Some people might just freaking go hiking. Some people might, you know, run and access that deeper access to their own essence and being. Some people might do Tai Chi. Some people, so I think there's, there's different ways and paths that we can access and modalities that might assist us in accessing it. But at the deepest level, we're well, one. That to me is true.
0: Do you, so it, it's almost like the idea that um, your your calibration or your your telltale on this is either love or fear, right? Because that's like Neil Donald Walsh. You and I have both talked to him. He's been on the show. One of my biggest influences ever, man. I've um, got his book, Conversations with God, and changed my life for sure. And I'm sure you're you've got similar experience with it. But we, under his understanding, it's it's uh, love and fear, and that's all we get. So it's it's you're either operating out of fear or you're operating out of love. And so people, yeah, might not love to do Tai Chi. Other people might love to do Tai Chi, and that's where they're calling is from, right? And though the calibration is in fear, fear of not fitting in, fear of being ostracized, fear of, you know, wasting your life away, um, fear of, you know, judgment, fear of your spouse leaving you or something like that, that may be the calibration that you're not living your truth. That's the subjective or personal part of it. That's what each of us have to figure out for ourselves. That's why like folks like you, man, and, and a lot of people that I talk to, you can point them down the direction, but they've got to take the steps, right? You know, it's like that thing. I can only, you know, show you the door. You've got to open it and walk through it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that we, as we're beginning the path, have to begin realizing is we have to start becoming aware, conscious and aware of our condition. I think this is something that's so important. When we're living unconsciously, we're not aware of our conditioning. We think that we're free, but we're not really free. To me, we're just often uh, living the living out the momentum of energy and karma and tendencies of our past, of our programming, of our childhood, of our parents, of our generational lineage. That we don't always know why we're doing what we're doing. We're just often at the effect of things that happen to us without being conscious. We think that who we are is who we are, but it's not necessarily. So just in terms of conditioning for those listening, just to make it clear, I feel that we are manifestations of the divine, consciousness, energy, life force, the one essence energy that is living and breathing us all. Whatever label you want to to, to use on that, go for it. It's just a definition. Uh, and, and so if you look at a child, a child is born, incarnation to this world, you look into a child's eyes. I was just holding my godson the other day in L.A., and I was like, I just melted, you know? This baby is like pure divinity looking at me, doesn't know anything about the shit I've done, haven't done, doesn't know who I am, doesn't just, just like, and this is just pure, pureness, pure essence, pure, I mean, just God, love, what just, it's like, wow, it's a reminder of what we are. So with these children, we incarnate into this human existence, these, these sort of awake beings in touch with that source energy, but now we're born into a framework. We're born into a framework, we're born into a narrative that is preset, pre, pre, pre-programmed for generations. And so now we're born into a preset pre-programmed framework narrative based on our culture, based on religion, based on parents, based on grandparents, et cetera, et cetera. And now we meet our parents who are inside of this framework, and they're doing the best that they can do based on that programming as well. Most of them are not so conscious. We meet our parents, and now we're in this, you know, on some level, we all are born into some level of, uh, shall we say, dysfunction or trauma in some way. And as human beings, we all experience some dysfunctional family dynamics, some trauma in a certain sense. And so maybe dad wasn't around, mom wasn't there, mom had mental illness, there's an alcoholic, there's abuse, sexual, physical, mental, emotional. Maybe our parents just weren't emotionally available. They were nice people, but they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs in some way. And so to me, two things happen that begin to determine our perspective and condition us. The first thing is unconsciously, as children, we begin to shut down, disconnect as a way to not feel the pain of what's going on around us because maybe it's not so safe. The pain of not being met, the pain of the screaming, the fighting. So we shut down, disconnect, not feel. And then over time, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of unfelt, unprocessed, incomplete uh, feeling starts getting, let's say, stored in our body, in our nervous system, in our physiology, starts to uh, cloud our connection with our own essence. So before you know it, our light, our, our true essence is I don't want to say hidden, but covered up perhaps, clouded, shrouded underneath the layers of unprocessed emotion that we shut down in order to function and survive. Then we start learning a way of going into the world, the sense of, you know, maybe we're loud and, and, and mom says, or dad says, shut up, be quiet. You know, girls not, you know, should be seen and not heard, or boys don't cry, you know, tuck it in. So we start learning, oh, who do I need to be in order to be loved. And we go out into the world, unconsciously, survival, you know, for the most part, who do I need to be? And we go out into the world, who do I need to be in order to be loved, validated, feel safe, accepted. And so we start to contort ourselves into a certain shape in order to get love validation approval from our parents, from those around us. And we start to manipulate ourselves, contort ourselves, betray parts of ourselves, shut down parts of ourselves. We create a face. We create a persona. We create a mask. we, We create a way of being that is really a pattern. We learn to pattern ourselves in a certain way, avoid pain, get love, get love, get validation. And we become this person. We contort ourselves through time to become this person that we actually think is who we really are, not realizing that what we've become, 18, 19, 20, 25 years old, is simply a survival pattern mechanism that we then attach to and identify with to avoid pain and get needs met that worked for us when we were five, worked for us when we were 10, worked for us for a certain degree. And the more tightly we hold on to this way of being, then we say, oh, This is just who I am. I'm just independent. I'm just cold. I'm just unlovable. I'm just this way. But we have to start questioning. Is who I am who I really am? Is who I am who I really am? Or is who I am a pattern set of conditioned ways of being that I've identified with? Who am I really? And so most of us, We live a part of our life thinking that who we are is who we really are. But the degree degree to which we're conditioned without knowing is the degree to which we actually don't have free will to truly, any sense of free will, to truly uh, choose, to truly control, to truly make choices. We're just living out the programming of what we've been conditioned into. And so I think one of the first parts, too, is realizing, wait a second, I'm conditioned so I am who I really am, and begin to observe oneself, watch oneself, watch one's reactions, watch one's thoughts, watch one's conditioning, and actually have the courage to question who you are. And I think in many ways we're afraid to question who I am because we're so attached to this idea of who we are, but it often limits us. This, this, this version of ourself that we've become that often gets reinforced through life and relationships. And you know, many of us we've built a life and a career based on this this version of ourselves. There's a fear of, well, if I let that go, how will I function? How will I survive? How will I get my needs met? How will I succeed? And and I think it takes a lot of courage to say, let me look at myself, let me question myself, because I think the more we can unravel the layers of conditioning through awareness, through questioning and through feeling, then we can begin to to loosen the grip of egoic identity and conditioning so that we can allow for more light, for more consciousness, for more energy, for more of, for lack of a word, the divine, more of life to begin flowing through us as we get ourselves out of the way, then life, more of life can start flowing through us and using us I feel, in ways that go beyond our own limited personal sense of power.
0: You know, and the epigenetics is what Dr. Bruce H. Lipton talks about, about transcending your genetic predisposed, you know, map or whatever, your your architecture. And and to that point, I, I heard something a long time ago that just stuck with me, man. And it says uh, it's somebody declaring basically that it happened in my family until it happened to me. And so what that speaks to is the epigenetics. It's breaking that cycle because what I've found out, man, and and the question I've got for you now is, is spirituality necessary for everyone? Now, let me preface this oh, by oh, saying. a good question. Well some people are I've never asked it before but while you were talking it's something now I'm very very curious about cuz again on our on our journey's like you and I are a lot of people are content with being a caterpillar forever not everybody wants to turn into a butterfly man not everybody wants to go through the tear down, breakdown process of the pain that it takes to break out of that, to lose your family, to lose. And in most cases, this is the result, right? At least for a little bit until you come back to your true self or as you're finding it. it it's not everybody wants to go through that. There are. I would say way more people than not that are just fine living the status quo, just keeping it copacetic, doing things just because that's the way we've always done it. The most dangerous sentence ever spoken by human beings. Well, that's just the way we've always done it. So that's how we're going to go. So why is spirituality or do you think rather spirituality is the spiritual path is necessary for everyone?
1: Um, no, no. And the other one reason I say no is, and, and I'm going to go there roundabout way, but it's like, what is spirituality? You know, because I think in many ways, what is spirituality doing yoga? Is spirituality wearing mala beads? Is spirituality wearing those flowing pants? Is spirituality going to India? Is spirituality doing some chanting in the morning? Like, what is spirituality? really, you know? And and so I think we have to be aware of that definition of spirituality so it doesn't just become another identity. To me, real spirituality is, is what you are and it's how you live your life every single day. And I, And the only reason I said no was because there's people that I've seen that they do yoga, they do chanting, they do beer, and they're vegan and they're, and they're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, they're cheating on their wife and, but they, they, they know all the mantras they're cheating, you know, and, and, and they're being slimy in their business. Like I met a guy recently doing, doing a little business with him. The level of betrayal and the level of out of integrity, this is supposed to be a spiritual author that I'm like, that's not spiritual. So what is spiritual, you know? And so I think spirituality is how you live your life day to day to day, treating those in your life. There's nothing more spiritual than speaking the truth. There's nothing more spiritual than living integrity. There's nothing more spiritual than being your word. There's nothing more spiritual than being kind. You know, like, okay, you did 17,000 mantras in your room, but you're not being kind. What is the point? To me, real spirituality has to be practiced in action where you recognize the oneness and the spirit in all human beings. And so there's people that I have met who they're not on the spiritual path, but the way they live their life and how they treat me and how I see they treat their wife and their child and their husband is way more spiritual than that person that is doing, you know, ayahuasca for the eight hundredth time. Spirituality is a way of being of how you show up and live your life and honoring the humanity and the divinity in each person. And so, I think to me, it makes it it makes it practical in a certain sense, you know. And I think, look, all of life. So, then to back up a little bit. All of life, whether you're aware of it or not, to a degree, is a spiritual process. All of life is a spiritual process. Whether you call it a spiritual process or you call it a whatever process, is why we, we are souls that we incarnate into this human experience because on some level, there's some lessons that we're here to learn. To me, life ultimately is the classroom for your soul's evolution. And every situation, every person, every relationship, every challenge, every breakdown, every bankruptcy, every illness, every, everything is part of the curriculum that your soul gets to go through and experience so that it can grow, learn, and evolve and become more authentically oneself and become more loving and, uh, shall we say, uh, realize more of our true divine infinite nature. And so we can do that. I think the question becomes then we can, we can participate with the process of life unconsciously, like we're just in denial and we're unconscious and drinking and smoking and just doing crack and just you know, watching Jerry Spring and just being un- completely unconscious. We can participate in life. Uh, uh, So I I would just say that's maybe not really participating. Then we can participate in life more unconsciously, just going through the motions like you were just saying, right? Or then we can understand perhaps what the real purpose of this process called life is, and we can start participating in it more consciously. And I think that's really the key. It's the ability to participate in this experience with a deeper understanding of what it's really about, to learn the lessons, to grow, to evolve, to resolve, to become more of who you are in every interaction, then you start seeing life as a school. Then you start seeing every, shall we say, every interaction, every lesson, every challenge, every relationship, as a reason opportunity for your soul to evolve. To me, that's really what it's about. Do you have to drink green juice? And do you have to wear mala beads? And do you have to do yoga to do that? No. You know. And so I think it's important that we drop our definitions of spirituality and what it is and what it isn't. And we allow ourselves to participate in the growth opportunity that is life as human beings. Uh, as authentically as we can, and to live each moment as authentically as we can, because I think that is profoundly spiritual. I will say, though, that I feel, and this might sound a little strange, spirituality is not the purpose of life. The ego might hold to spirituality and start making that the purpose of life. But in a sense, spirituality in the way that we may have defined it, you know, is maybe a vehicle. But there comes a moment to throw it off and just start living. And just start living each moment. And when you just start living each moment, then you start realizing, if you're really present in each moment, there's not one moment There's not one moment that is actually not spiritual. It's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I want us to drop the definition. Spiritual, not spiritual. Spiritual, not spiritual. Because everything is a manifestation of spirit. Everything is the fundamental expression and manifestation of spirit. And is it less spiritual to change your kids' diapers than sitting in Zen monastery with the guru giving you Shaktipat? Is it more spiritual? So so there's this idea, oh, that's more spiritual. But changing your kids' diapers, seeing the divine, seeing God right there, while the shit is flying the pee is going and it stinks and just dissolving your ego in that moment Oh yeah, it, that's spiritual then i think we stop looking for spirituality in some high in some oh i saw some blue light it's like oh, if all we were meant to do was was to see blue lights and flow in the we would we would we would not need to ink on it we are here to live in this human experience and so The definition, then when we drop spiritual and not spiritual, then every moment becomes secret. Every moment becomes holy. Every moment becomes that. And to me, that is, I think, the invitation, you know, where it's not this or that, it's just Everything is that. Everything is God. Everything is spiritual. There's nothing that's not divine. There's no moment that is not divine, holy, and sacred. While you're having sex with your wife, girlfriend, husband, while you're driving, while you're changing the diapers, while you're running and jogging, while you're at work, there's no moment that is not that. I think that's when the ordinary becomes extraordinary and everything. That's when something shifts. And so, for me, that's the invitation. It's like it engulfs spirituals. Like everything just is.
0: Could not agree more. And this is why I asked because there's spiritual sections or spiritual stores and people will tell you that you're not spiritual unless you wear a ring on each finger, unless you grow a ponytail out and you trade your wardrobe in for nothing but robes, uh, unless you you know, are planting crystals everywhere and you meditate for hours and hours and hours. I completely agree with you, though. And this is why I asked, because I think it's all a spiritual experience. It's all a spiritual journey. If we are the one and there's nothing else here, you know, the egg, you've seen that. Right. The, uh, the story of the egg where it's just you and God and that's it. I'm you. You're me. We're all humans beings here having this experience, but it's all different experiences. So why would there be one spiritual, um, in air quotes, path for anybody? It's all a spiritual path. This is the great awareness, I think. And I think what people talk about about a spiritual awakening is just getting out of a conditioning or a habit or a lack of resonance with true and high self. That's it. If you want to be a race car driver, go do that. If you want to raise your kids well and provide them with better opportunities perceivably than you had, that's your spiritual journey, right? Right. Yes. Um, so we're about at the agreed upon time here, dude. This flew by. Uh, you oh are fantastic. God, time flies. It, it does when you're when you're unraveling the secrets of the universe <laughs> here. So tell me just a little bit about your new book, The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. And of course, I'll be linking all of this in the show notes for the people. Oh, yeah,
1: the, the Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. This was not the book, once again, I thought I was going to write. Uh, I, had, I had an entire book. War- wall filled with different ideas of books I thought I was going to, books I thought honestly would sell and books I thought would be bestsellers and books I, and one day I was meditating on this wall and it was literally as though the soul of this book just said, surrender. And that's the moment I was like, but I I don't know if I want to write about that. But when I really, again, got myself out of the way, it was clear as day that this was the book that was seeking to be written. And when I surrendered that, everything started flowing. The format flowed. Then again, I was tr- trying to come up with a fancy title, something sexy, something you know, unique that I thought would sell. The magic of surrender. It's like, well, that's too simple. The magic of surrender. If you want more magic in your life, magic, not hocus pocus, magic, more joy, more abundance, more, more bigness, more purpose, then you've got to surrender. And that surrender is the password to freedom and letting go leads to more. We have this idea in our culture of surrender as weak, surrender as passive. surrender like if you surrender, you won't get what you want. You won't manifest your dreams. You're going to be homeless. Maybe you'll be broke. Maybe you have to move to the Himalayas. Like there's an idea of surrender that I think is so not enticing, not interesting. And, and so I wanted to reframe this concept of surrender to really get people thinking like, what if you surrender and you didn't get less? you got more than you could envision or imagine or make up with your own mental gyrations of your mind and write down on your own goal list. What if you got more? What if in surrendering, life flowed more through you than you could imagine? You know, in terms of surrender, it's really simply about letting go of control or the idea that we have control, letting go of trying to control our lives and manipulate our lives, force our life to be something that we think it should be, which is often based on our mental conditioning, and to let go of the idea of who we think we should be, to let go of the life that we think we should be living, to truly then open ourselves to the authentic impulse of what life is seeking to express through us. I really believe that what life can do through us What life can manifest through us, what life in all its intelligence can flow through us and create through us is bigger than anything we could imagine with our own limited perspective and perception. Look at Mandela, 27 years in prison, probably not what he expected. But if he didn't, if that wasn't his journey and that didn't happen, probably wouldn't be the Mandela we know Look at Mother Teresa, look at Gandhi, look at Bruce Lee, look at Bob Marley, look at Mandela. At some point, all of the great ones had to surrender themselves to life, to allow life to live through them. And so the book is an invitation to shift from an old paradigm to a new paradigm. The old paradigm is an ego-based model of living and creating, which is about asking yourself, what do I want What do I want from my life? What do I want? And we set goals, dreams, and desires. But many times you get those goals and it's dissatisfying. Many times you get those goals and those goals, you know, you get what you thought you wanted, but it's not what you really wanted. It was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And many times our goals are a projection of unmet needs from the past or unmet needs from our childhood, wounds from our childhood, that we think if we can get that thing, then we're going to be fulfilled. But what I'm really inviting in the magic of surrender is to move to a new paradigm. And this is where I feel we're going. This is where I feel even 2020, this pandemic, is part of the spiritual awakening process that we are all globally in, collectively together. We're in a surrender meditation. We're in an awakening process, whether we like it or not. And, and so to me, the real question of, what, of, of the book is an invitation to ask ourselves, what is it that life is seeking to express through? What is it that life is seeking to manifest through me? What is it that life, how is that life is seeking to write through me and create through me and live through me and love through me? What is the deepest impulse of what life is seeking to express through me? And then really, how can we then feel into that, listen to that, and then align our mind, our body, our heart, our actions in sync with the deepest, most authentic impulse of life? And I think when we do that, We're in the flow. Well, we're in the flow, that's when nature rises to support us. And so it's the magic of surrender. If you want more magic in your life, you've got to surrender. And that's really the invitation of the book.
0: I'm reminded of the metaphor about swimming up river, uh, which is the resistance and causes dissonance against the true flow of your of your life or the way that it could be, where you just turn around, point your feet down river and just flow with it, right? Just literally go with the flow. You know, it's lit, it, it's very literal in that sense. Uh, hey, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. I
1: joy, my blessings. Uh, one more thing. Uh, uh, if you enjoyed today's episode and want to connect more, find out more about my work, you can go to com. Uh, I'm also reachable on Facebook, Instagram, and check out my book on Amazon, The Magic of Surrender.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much again for your time, my friend. I really do appreciate you. A massive thanks to Coot Blackson for coming on the show and spending some time and dropping some wisdom with us today. Uh, Incredible story, guys. His books, uh, You Are the One and The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go, his brand new book, will be linked down in the show notes as well as the website. And uh, y'all can just go down there and check that out and find him that way. Uh, As for this show, guys, you can find us at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where the links to all of the socials will be. The YouTube version of this interview will be up on YouTube like all the other ones are, so you can just click directly from the website or go to YouTube to find that. Uh, if you find the show valuable, uh, sharing and liking, I am always grateful for it, guys. Spread the word. Uh, But uh, if you want to do a little bit more, you're like, how else can I help? Uh, What you can do is there's a Patreon link at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is a way that you contribute as little or as much as you'd like to the show to keep it going. We do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, Of course, the music underneath here, guys, Vinny the Saint. Check out his link tree to find him and some more incredible music. Incredibly grateful to my good friend Vinny for doing the music for the outro to the show. Uh, And this week, guys... Go out into the world, pick up a piece of litter, open a door for somebody, buy a stranger behind you in line a coffee or a meal or something, something small, guys, stamps, anything. It makes a massive difference. Uh, Mostly for you, I'll be honest with you. Uh, You get an incredible feeling about giving back to another piece of you, because that's all this is. It's all a bunch of yous out here. We're all individualistic expressions of God. That's what I choose to believe, uh, because it's, it's a very comforting thing, right? So if that's the case, then go ahead and just be nice to everybody you see because you're, in turn, being nice to yourself. And there's nothing wrong with not being a piece of shit, right? So uh, as well as not being a piece of shit, you can get out of the left-hand lane. That's annoying. Uh, We could start there. And then in this week, guys, go out into your world and just be good to one another.
1: Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.